The uh, first reading is uh, from Paul's epistle to the Romans, starting chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Here ends the epistle. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew, written in Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is on page 965 in the Church Bibles. Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to, to thee, you, O Christ. May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. No one really questions that the baby of Bethlehem is a real historical figure. Surveys might indicate, as you may have read in the newspapers this week, that the average chap, the man on the Clapham omnibus, as we used to call him, is as likely to think Jesus no more real than Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, the Tooth Fairy, or Father Christmas, or whoever. But no serious student of the times, uh, and no serious student of the Bible, doubts the birth of the man who came to be known as Jesus of Nazareth. He is an historical figure although many think of him 
as no more than a fairy tale. Certainly, legitimate debates can be held about the exact date and circumstances of his birth. Clearly, uh, at least two traditions were current in the early church. Luke, who, as we know, was a meticulous historian, favored the story of John the Baptist and then the visit of the shepherds. Perhaps in his research, he found relatives of those first shepherds. There is a conjecture that during Paul's imprisonment in Jerusalem, Luke had opportunity to go and research some of the early stories of Jesus. Perhaps he spoke to relatives of the first shepherds, or uh, clearly he was excellent at seeking out the women who were involved in Jesus' ministry, so perhaps he spoke to their wives, and that's why they got so much detail of the story. Matthew, as you all know, tells us about the visit of the Magi. He also tells us about the massacre of the innocents and the flight uh, to Egypt. Both birth narratives uh, have the great claims about the identity of Jesus and the uniqueness of the occasion in common. Let me suggest four things that the two traditions do not uh, argue against each other. Firstly, the miraculous nature of Jesus' conception, which we state in the creed as belief in the virgin birth. You've just said that you believe in the virgin birth. I hope that you're not like the, uh, the previous principal of my old college, Keeble. Uh, many years ago, he was one of the co-authors of the infamous book called The Myth of God Incarnate. And when I challenged him one day how, as an Anglican priest, he could say the creed, including belief in the virgin birth, he said, with more of a smirk than a smile, to be honest, I keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> I hope you don't keep yours crossed. The miraculous nature of his conception is agreed upon by both traditions. Secondly, both traditions agree about the physical reality of his human birth in Bethlehem in the time of King Herod. Neither story pulls any punches. Luke tells us about the innkeeper and the stable. Matthew is content that we should know that he was born of Mary in the city of David, Bethlehem. Both bring Joseph into the story, and Joseph emerges as something of a hero. He took him into his family, he took Jesus into his family, brought him up as his son, and shared responsibility for him. Joseph emerges as something of a heroic figure in both narratives. Thirdly, both traditions agree about the intervention of God at every point in the story, the angelic visitations, Joseph and Mary's visions, and of course Elizabeth's as well in Luke, although that's not mentioned by Matthew. Both accounts vehemently claim, very vehemently claim, that Joseph and Mary did not have sex before Jesus was born, and that Jesus is both uh, fully human, but also divine. God with us, Emmanuel, as we've just heard. And fourthly, both traditions agree that Jesus' birth, while fulfilling the promises of the Jewish Old Testament, while He is the Messiah, the one waited for, the expected Savior, He also opens the grace of God 
to all nations and languages, as in fact, of course, the Old Testament had promised. But both traditions say here is the grace of God being extended to all nations and all languages. The intervention of the wise men is an indication of Matthew, the Jewish uh, historian, really the Jewish record keeper, uh, of his belief that Jesus is for all nations. So we have much that we can be confident in when we look at the two stories in Luke and in Matthew. When Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, he wrote it almost certainly before any of the Gospels had been written down. He must have known of the traditions. Uh, probably he knew of both the tradition of Matthew and Luke. But it's interesting to me that as he starts his letter to, to the Christians in Rome, we see the very things that Luke and Matthew agree about in the birth narratives are things that come right at the start of Paul's letter. The language in Romans 1, verses 1 to 7, is quite complex, but clearly he regards Jesus as a, re, as a unique combination of the divine and the human. Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, thus Bethlehem, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God. Perhaps both a reference to the virgin birth and to the baptism of Jesus when the Spirit came upon him. Declared to be divine by the Spirit and, of course, proven to be divine by his resurrection. And Paul is clear that the Christmas message is for the whole world. It's absolutely central, of course, to Paul's thinking. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also, you Romans also, are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So my, my pre-Christmas pre-carol service message is this, what we're going to sing about today in our carol services with ancient and modern carols and words that are so familiar to us, the story that we hear recounted in the readings, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the nine lessons and carols uh, service, is not myth as some would have us think but coherent history written as theology, deliberately written as theology for the conversion of the world. Here is a historical event written by those who were there at the time, or at least the source of the information is those who were there at the time, written as theology so that we can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We can, I believe, have confidence in its integrity and stand by its authority. So though there may be many who come to this building today, and I hope there are many who come, who still have not found complete confidence in the historicity of these things and the relevance of these things to their everyday life, they may still hold on to some vestiges of folk religion. Let us who, who trust in Christ, let us be confident in the integrity of Scripture and stand by its authority. Let's pray together.
We thank you, Father, as we enter into the Christmas periods for this truly wonderful story which we have grown up with and lived with, which has been interpreted in numerous ways in books and uh, great art, recently in film and television, uh, a story that is uh, so, so familiar to us. And as we recall these great, great events over the next few days, we pray that many will come to see that it is reasonable, it is possible, it is wise to come to Jesus again and put their trust in Him. And we pray for ourselves that as we hear this story again, you would renew our faith, refresh our trust in you, fill us with the joy and peace and excitement of Christmas, of knowing that you love the world so much that you came among us. Restore our faith, renew our trust, fill us with your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.